there's, there's four books in the Bible that are called the Gospels. And they're called that because these four different men, they recorded what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and, and the response of the people to him after he said and did what he did. Um, and it, it's the first four books in the New Testament. You, the Bible's divided up between Old and New Testament. Old Testament is basically um, a record of what happened prior to the birth of Christ. And then everything that happened in the New Testament is pretty much everything happened from the birth of Christ, basically. I mean, there's a little overlap there. And there was 400 silent years in there. Um, so you have the first three books. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, first four books, and John. And you have the Gospels, and they all tell similar stories but different perspectives because not only were the authors different, but they were written to different people. So, like, they would emphasize different aspects of the ministry of Christ. And John is one of the most intriguing. Um, John was one of the first disciples that were ever called to follow Christ Um, and, and developed a special relationship with him. And if you are a newer believer, or maybe you're still trying to figure this out, or maybe you have never really done any type of your own Bible reading or Bible study, I would encourage you that the book of John is a great place to start. It just is a beautiful book. It, it warms your heart to Jesus. Um, my favorite, I think my favorite thing about, about the book of John is Only in John's gospel is it said of John that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. It's funny that Matthew and Mark and Luke didn't say that, but John said that about John. Anyways, I just, anyway, I love the book of John, and that's where we are this morning. We're in the first chapter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35. Um, we also have the, the verses up on the screen as well. Um, and we, we, I just want to kind of jump into this because, um, we have Easter coming up and, and the thought always kind of turns to, to reaching people. And this is, this is an important part of our life. And that is this relationship that we get to enjoy with Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I think it's worthy of our time, and I think that we make it a lot more difficult than it needs to be. What I'd like to do is, is let's look at the book of First John, I'm sorry, the, the book of John, and the first chapter, and the first part of it introduces who John the Baptist was. He was kind of a forerunner. Now, John the Baptist is not the same as John, the author of this book, the apostle. You have two different Johns there. And so John, the apostle, the author of the book, introduces John the Baptist, who was sent to introduce Jesus Christ, not to confuse you, but then... And as, as he is, he was making the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And we have now a transition starting in verse 35, where those that were following John are shown that the Messiah is here. Jesus Christ is now 30 years of age. He begins his three-year earthly ministry. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and introduces everybody to the Lamb of God that's here to take away the sin of the world. And that's where we are in verse 35. Again, the next day, after John stood, and two of his disciples, now we had more than that, but at this point in time, if we're doing a disciple count, 
John has at least two, and Jesus has zero. In verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. So John, John the Baptist identifies to his disciples that there's the man. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they said, see ya. They follow Jesus. That's the one that you've been preaching about? Then that's where we're going. And basically, they just wanted to learn more. So they approached Jesus Christ, and they simply asked him, you know, where, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. Because he knew that they needed some time, and he said, come and see. And so they go with Jesus Christ, and they begin to spend time with him. Now, we know that one of these two disciples that just left was Andrew, because the Bible tells us that Andrew went then to go get his brother Peter. And so you have another disciple that's not named, but we all assume it was the author of this book, and it was John. So you have John and Andrew were these two disciples. They leave John the Baptist, and they begin to go after Jesus. They want to spend time with Jesus. Before they left, Andrew said, oh, let me go get my brother. He goes and gets Peter. And so now you have three disciples following Jesus. You have Andrew and John and you have Peter. And now let's pick up on verse 43 as they head to Galilee and Jesus calls somebody else. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and he finds Philip and says, follow me. So you have come and see and then follow me. Then in verse 45, Philip then finds Nathanael. And said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He said, we we got him. We found him. He's here. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? So he begins to question, really, Nazareth? You're sure this is the guy? Philip doesn't even answer his question. Completely ignores it. He just says, come and see. Come and see. And here we have, in this incredibly humble beginning, you have the genesis, or the beginning, and the genius of the Jesus movement. Not complicated training classes. You have a very simple invitation. Come and see. And let me tell you what's incredible, is that this is what still works. Just come and see. Because here's what we're saying to people when we say come and see. We're saying that you just have to experience Jesus for yourself. It's not about the rules of the church. It's not about Sunday attendance. Although, just for the record, I like having you here. It is about coming and seeing and experiencing Jesus for yourself. Because some things just have to be experienced to be appreciated. Like a Spelunker's hamburger. It's like, I love Spelunker's hamburgers. And anytime we have family or friends or anybody in town, you want a good burger? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's go get a good burger. Now, I have oversold Spelunkers in the past. I've been guilty of overselling them. 
And I build it up so much, and they finally eat it, and they're like, yeah, that was a good burger. But if you don't oversell it too much, there's an art to it. You can't oversell it too much. You just have to say, do you want a good burger? Let's, I, I, I know a place. They grind their own hamburger. They cut their own French fries. It's a great place. It's, it's locally owned and operated. Just a really great place. They honor my Young Life card. You get a free ice cream when you buy a meal. Available for only $10 after the service. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I really have no idea. I'm just saying. So it's like you have, they probably really are. They're probably in the pockets of Young Life workers right now. Um, but it's like, okay, like Bruce was with us a couple, three weeks ago. And uh, he came to work with our staff a little bit. And I said, I, he wanted to go out to eat. And I said, I said, you feel like a good burger? He's like, yeah. I'm like, let's go get a good burger. But I didn't oversell it, right? We go there, and he's like, okay, yeah. I said, you need to get the double combo, the, the double cavern burger with bacon. Let's just, let's just jump in, man. Let's, let's do it. Not a kid's meal. Let's get the double cavern burger combo with cheese and bacon. Let's just jump in. He's like, all right. Let me tell you, the expression on his face when he bit into that burger was like he just stepped across into the pearly gates. And he, it was like the, the heaven parted. You heard angels singing. It was, it, was, it was a spiritual moment for Bruce right there. You just have to experience. How many people are going to Spelunkers after church? Yep. Yes. All right. Let's pray. Um, I ought to be on Spelunkers payroll. I really should. I, you ought to, like, take your bulletins there and say, hey, Eric said, and... But uh, anyway, last week I was talking about dieting. This week I'm talking about, let's go to Spelunkers. <laughs> That's that RAS, right? That's just what you focus on grows. Um, so, so anyway, um, you just have to experience it for yourself. And that's kind of the way it is with Jesus, right? It's like, you, boy, that really sounds really sacrilegious to compare Jesus to a Spelunkers hamburger. But you get my point. It's like, you just have to experience him for yourself. Because here's the truth. It's not just about inviting people to church. It's about introducing them to Jesus. Now, I happen to think that coming to church is a great place to meet Jesus. But Jesus doesn't live here. Okay? When we leave, so does Jesus. Okay? This is just, a, this, is the, this is the church building. That's all that it is. This isn't church. We are the church. And when we leave, Jesus ain't here anymore. Okay? So you can introduce Jesus at the coffee shop, at the gym, as long as you can get in between breaths, as you're gasping, on walks, on trips in the car, anywhere you have a relationship with somebody, you can introduce them to Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. That's come and see. That has been the formula for growing this faith to five followers of Jesus, then it grew to 12, and now it's approximately two and a half billion people around the globe in every different color of Christianity, whatever that looks like, has been this simple formula of come and see. There's a word that we're all afraid of. That's the word evangelism. And, and growing up, for me, evangelism was the guy with the bullhorn. Or the name tags, or the notebooks, or the knocking on the doors. 
And that is evangelism. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, but that doesn't, that's not, that's not what we saw happening here in John chapter 1, is it? The word evangelism in the Greek is the word, and that's, the Greek is what they wrote the original New Testament, and that's the oldest ones that we have, is the word euangelion. I'll say it again for you after the service if you'd like. The word euangelion simply means the bringer of good news. That's an evangelist. So the idea here is, is evangelism probably doesn't have a lot to do with a bullhorn or name tags or notebooks or knocking on doors. It has your willingness to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are all evangelists. So you say, well, that's not my gift. But do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Then, yeah, I do believe there are people who are a lot better at it, but we all have that responsibility. And so I don't know what you feel gifted to do or what you feel like God has called you as far as, as, far as how to use who you are to further the kingdom, but all of us are to be sharers of the good news. It's who we are made to be. It's how this all works. You say, well, I'm not very, I'm not very qualified. I get it, but, but what was the qualifications of these men? Let's see, there was only two of them. They met Jesus, and they knew someone who needed to meet Jesus. That was their qualification. They didn't take classes. They didn't get an online certification. They had no bullhorn. They met Jesus. And they knew somebody who needed to meet Jesus. That was their qualification. Okay, so then what method did they use? What, what, really, what really incredibly complicated method did they use? They just invited them to come and meet Jesus. That was it. They just invited them to come and meet Jesus. They weren't trained. They hadn't taken classes. They didn't have all the answers. And what I love, what I love, like, so, so Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. Nathaniel, well, you know, I don't, you just need to meet him. Just come and see. He didn't even answer the questions. So, regardless of how inadequate you might feel about sharing Jesus or about just putting your friends in a place where they can meet Jesus or at least telling them your story it's not so so it's not just a matter of of you being able to explain everything to them it's a matter of you just getting them to experience someone that's what we're talking about you just have to experience you just I, I don't know what to tell you I don't have all the answers. I just know the difference that he's made in my life. Now, part of the problem is most of us are not living as though Jesus made a difference in our life. Most of us have, have what we might call fire insurance. We're not going to hell. But he makes no difference in our life on a day-to-day basis. Right? Well, that's not much of a relationship to be excited about. Because the truth of the matter is, this relationship that we enjoy is not just about securing your eternal real estate. It's about enjoying a relationship right now. And if heaven never happens, life is so much better with Jesus. Think about it. If the grave really is the end of it all, and we know it's not, Is your relationship with Christ making any difference to the life that you're living now? If it is, you got something to share. 
I, I really don't know how people make it without, without Christ. I really don't. Decisions in life, heartaches of life, relational problems. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't imagine navigating all of that with my own intelligence and trying to figure it out or Google the answers. But my relationship with Jesus Christ is meaningful. And it affects every day of my life to some extent. And if heaven never happens for me, I'm still glad that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm still grateful for that moment as a nine-year-old boy, somebody showed me how to trust him as my Savior. Not only did I secure my eternal real estate, but I get to walk with him. I get the benefit of that relationship. And that's worth sharing with somebody else. So here we are 2,000 years later. The church is what it is. The Christianity, the movement is what it is. But the problem is too many of us are happy knowing Jesus without inviting anyone else into the relationship. And you got a good thing here. And there's plenty of Jesus to go around. So what I want us to become is a little unsatisfied with with this relationship all to ourselves. I want us to become less selfish about it and share it with other people. Because here's the truth, and I don't know what your background in church is, and I don't know what you expect the pastor to do, but, but the Christian movement for 2,000 years at its very basic structure, has been and continues to be a lay movement. And let me explain that. That means it's not the pastor's job to build the church. It's God's job. The Christian movement was not because there was a lot of good preachers. It was because there was a lot of lay people who were excited about the relationship with Jesus Christ, and they shared it with their friends. That's been the secret sauce, is that what you have works, and you want to share it with somebody else. You just got to experience Jesus for itself. So I have my own responsibility with the relationships that I enjoy, and the people that I know, and the friends that I have, but so do you. Equally so. And that's the secret. Let me show you what it looks like. I'd like to run a quick video. And in this video, it kind of shows you a little bit of what maybe that would look like. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. 
She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met, and never will. Folks, I don't know who's in your life that needs Jesus, but there are people in your life who need Jesus. I think first you need to have a relationship with them. You need to, you need to act like Jesus. And then you need to share them and introduce them to this person who's made such an impact on your life. So John writes this gospel and introduces us to his introduction to Jesus, which is why I chose that passage. And then some 65, 70 years later, he writes to a group of Christians again. And he writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he introduces 1st John this way. John says, that which was from the beginning, and he's talking about Jesus, which we have heard, and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, the word of life. He's talking about Jesus here. So, so he's at the end of his life. From what I understand, 
He was the only disciple that died a natural death. All the other disciples were martyred, which may be why he said he was the one that Jesus loved. So here he is at the end of his life, looking back on 1 John 1, where he was following John the Baptist, gets pointed to Jesus, and then begins to follow Christ, spends three years with him, watches him crucified, saw him after he rose from the grave, and commissions him and the other disciples to spread the gospel. And here he is some some 60, 70 years later, and he has spent his entire life saying, come and see, and sharing this relationship that he personally had with Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. We are sharing this with you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And that word fellowship means to share with us. We want you to partake and to have a part of what it is that I have enjoyed my whole life. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. My question is, how are we doing? Who are we sharing with? Because when you simplify it down to its most effective and authentic form, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where he got the bread. And that's our job. It's just the right thing to do. It's the decent thing to do, is to share with somebody else. And you don't have to have all the answers. Just come and see. You enjoy it. You enjoy church. You enjoy your relationship with Christ. Make an introduction. Just make that happen. It's our responsibility, but it's also our privilege to enjoy watching somebody else meet the one who's made all the difference in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are commissioned. (laughs) We are given the responsibility. But what a privilege it is. This relationship that we enjoy that is so incredibly meaningful, that has changed our life, help us to be ready and willing to share that and to make that introduction. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.